Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Coffee with a friend is like capturing joy in a cup. Welcome to the Coffee with Jenny B podcast, hosted by Jenny B, a lover of all things coffee. Each week, Jenny will chat about connecting over coffee, what brings her joy, and everything in between. A lot can happen over coffee, so grab a cup, sit back, and enjoy. Now here's your host, Jenny B. Hello and welcome. I'm fortunate that I have a roof over my head, that I have food to eat, that I have a bed to sleep in, that I can treat myself to coffee or treat myself to anything because I'm in a position where I can do that for myself. But I know that there are others in our community that are less fortunate, that don't have the option to have a safe place to sleep, a roof over their head meals that they can rely on, or that cup of coffee. But fortunately for us, we have an organization in Winnipeg that can provide that to their community members. It's the Main Street Project. And my guest today is Jamil Mahmoud, who is the executive director of Main Street Project. And he's going to share with us what he and his staff and volunteers and actually anyone who's involved with the Main Street Project, what they can provide to the community. Hello, Jamil, and welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. So I mentioned to you before our conversation we're having right now that, you know, I I follow uh, you on uh, LinkedIn and, of course, social media. But what caught my attention was it was one of your staff members, and I'm sorry, I forget her name, but they were talking about the coffee that they provide or that you provide to your community members. And of course, anything to do with coffee, I'm always intrigued about. But it also made me wonder about what else you're providing to your community members. And so I'd like to find out from you, what brought you to Main Street Project in the role of executive director? Yeah, I'm it's uh, an organization that I'd known about for a long time and uh, had connections through kind of other jobs I've worked in the past where my paths have crossed. I've worked in partnership on projects. And uh, for me, I was really looking for where I can have the most impact on, on Winnipeg, a city I love very much and uh, wanting to make real change in our city. And um, when the position became available, it was something that I um, I'd been looking for an opportunity to, to have an impact on a large scale and work for a large organization than I, I had been in the past. And so I jumped at the opportunity to take this position on where I'd have the opportunity to be really involved in the homeless sector and addictions and mental health sector in our in our city and province and uh, be a part of making real change in, in the city I love so much. I truly applaud your resilience and your desire to to make a difference and to enact some change and providing 
for those that can definitely use a hand up for sure. Yeah. And for me, I'm all about making a difference as well. And it's all about connections. And do you find that those connections that you're making with the community and not just the community members that you serve, but also the community members that also provide some assistance to the Main Street Project? Yeah, relationship is really key to doing this work and doing it well. So my, my role is often about, you know, those external partnership relationships, those donor relationships, those um, a kind of external relationships to our core services we provide. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of my job is about building those connections and partnership, working to make sure we're not overlapping with other services that we're working in collaboration and coordination, uh, developing, you know, partnership uh, centered models of, of operation. So that's what a lot of what I do. But for us, everything we do is about our relationship. We make sure that our programs are reflective of the people we serve and mm-hmm. um, and the relationship we have with those people shape how our programs run. And so, you know, from every level of our organization, it's really important that we build strong and real connections. And, and that's the only way we can do our jobs really well and also make sure we uh, we work in a way because the, the challenge of addressing a large topic like homelessness and addiction mm-hmm. and health and poverty is really recognizing that no one organization or group can do it all. But together, we can work on a collaborative and community approach to solving kind of some of these larger problems and and working together to make sure that kind of across the spectrum of need, we're providing different services to meet the different needs. Mm -hmm. And I I like how you encapsulate what you're providing. And and yes, relationships are really important. I want to go back to what you had mentioned about your core services. So can you tell me what core services you provide uh, to the community members? Yeah, for sure. So Main Street Project, we offer um, a 120-bed emergency shelter. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a service at the corner of Main and Logan in the old Mitchell Fabrics building. We have um, 120 uh, cots that provide a place for people to sleep 24 hours a day. So we provide daytime sleep services at night. We also have a drop-in space as well. Uh, We have 10 washrooms, 7 showers. Um, We have a small kitchenette. We provide three meals a day and snacks throughout the day there. We have clothing. So it's really everything you need. We have Mm -hmm. shelter, clothing, food, and then connections to our casework programs. We have a team of 13 caseworkers that work across all MSP programs to make sure folks have a connection to getting access to their benefits, to housing, to the healthcare system, and kind of navigate folks through the different systems they need to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, then we also offer a 24-7 van outreach programs. We have a van on the road 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Um, that's out there working with folks who are on the street, folks in encampments or bus shacks or anywhere they're sleeping rough. We're out there connecting with them. We provide harm reduction services, provide food, clothing. Uh, our van outreach model has a a three-pronged approach. So we have community support workers. We have peer outreach workers, so folks who have lived experience and um, have maybe lived that life on the street before. Mm-hmm. Um, then we also have caseworkers attached to their van. So they're in the van um, throughout the day and night, overnight, out there connecting folks. So we can actually house people directly from the street uh, through our caseworker in the van and get them housed and supported housing and work to keep them housed. So that's a big part of our van program is that it's not just that that outreach connection. It also has direct linkages to services and connections in the community. Um, mm-hmm. We also offer two housing programs. So we have our mainstay transitional housing at 71 Martha Street 
that's a transitional housing services. So folks who are maybe coming out of shelter or other supports, uh, and we kind of provide a temporary transitional housing. So they're housed with us. We have 36 units there of housing. And then we also run the Bell Hotel on on Main Street there. Um, that's 39 units of supported housing. So we have staff there 24 hours a day and, and working with folks uh, to house them and get the keep them housed in that location. Uh, and then we also offer uh, withdrawal management services. So we run two facilities for folks who are um, dealing with addiction challenges for them to go through withdrawal management or detox. Um, and so that's usually a 14-day period where folks will come into our services while they uh, go through withdrawal um, of whatever substances they're using. And then uh, often we'll move on to a treatment center or treatment services uh, with one of our partner agencies. Um, so we offer a facility at 75 Martha Street for men and non-binary folks. And then we offer a, a facility at on Magnus Avenue um, for women and non-binary folks uh, to access services there. So we have uh, 21 beds at Martha and 26 beds at River Point on Magnus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also offer our protective care services, which is part of the um, intoxicated person detention area. So folks who are picked up by Winnipeg Police Services uh, when they're publicly intoxicated, instead of getting arrested and charged, they'll come and be brought to our facility at 75 Martha, and they have an opportunity to sober, sober in a safe way. Um, and then they'll be released to the community once they've, they're safe to do so. So it's a facility that we par- operate in partnership with the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service and Winnipeg Police Service uh, to offer a place for people to safely sober and then um, so that they don't get uh, charges or arrested for being intoxicated in public. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we also offer food programs. We have an essentials market that is, uh, you know, operates kind of like a food bank, but we run it like a grocery store. So we have our setup like so people can come in and kind of shop for what they need versus just getting a, a food hamper. And mm-hmm. then we have a, a clothing bank program where we collect donations and then clean them, sort them, and then get them into our program. So all of our program areas have access to food and clothing for the people that come in through our doors. Wow. It's not often that I'm at a loss for words, but I'm just amazed and just, uh, wow. That's all I can say is is everything that you've told me about what you are offering. And, And so when you think about when people see the building that was the old Mitchell Fabrics building and they see the Main Street Project, I'm sure a lot of them have the idea that that's all it is, is that just the one building. But based on what you've told me, it is so much more. I mean, your outreach is just amazing. I'm very impressed with what you can offer. And but with so many staff at so many different places and and so much to look after, you need a team behind you to help you make it all happen. And so how big is your team that provides that support for you? Yeah, we have a great team here. So we have a team of six directors that kind of cover all our areas. We have a, you know, a finance director is our, our all things finance. Uh, <laughs> we have a lot. And one of the, the things people don't realize about running an organization of this size is we have, you know, I think 18 different funding partners, 27 different funding agreements for all the work we do. So it's quite complicated financially to mm-hmm. manage, to coordinate all the funds and, and all that stuff. So we have, you know, a, a team of folks behind the finance director. We have a human resources director. You know, we have 175 staff. So as you're mm-hmm. saying, there's a lot of work there to just coordinate the basic kind of HR functions for the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a director of clinic, clinical initiatives. So that's kind of oversees everything that's kind of connected to our clinical initiatives in terms of our withdrawal management services. 
and our casework, but also I forgot to mention we also run a 39-unit isolation facility for anyone who gets who for COVID. So anyone who is either COVID positive or symptomatic, we will isolate mm-hmm. folks for the whole homeless sector. So anyone who shows up at any of the shelters that has symptoms or has tested positive, they'll come into our isolation facility for the 10, 10 day isolation period. Oh, that's good. And so that's really what's helped us keep COVID out of the shelter system. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, at one point, uh, if we would have seen COVID outbreaks in the shelter system, it probably would have shut down and caused, a, you know, a real catastrophe. Mm-hmm. But we were actually the first place in Manitoba to open an isolation facility was for the homeless sector with supported from the province and the WRHA. Mm-hmm. So uh, I forgot to mention that earlier, but that's a big part of what we've been doing for the last two years is running COVID isolation as well. At one point, we had two facilities. We had a hotel and the apartment block. But as, you know, as the different waves have gone, we've gone down to just having an apartment block as well. But so we have a director that oversees kind of everything kind of that falls under kind of clinical initiatives. And then we have Mm -hmm. a director of community initiatives that oversees our housing and shelter and van outreach. Um, And then we also have a development director and they kind of oversee, you know, a lot of our fundraising work, um, but also kind of all of our marketing and communications. Mm-hmm. No, that's amazing. And it's really good to see that you have such a good team behind you. So you've got the directors and then the staff that are all working hard to make a difference in the community. I was always impressed by your van, the the van that is 24-7, 365 days, because, you know, homelessness, poverty, you know, things that, that basic needs, I mean, they don't take a break. They don't take a holiday. There are needs all the time. And so I love the fact that you have that van, um, that you provide the food, the clothing, assistance, and depending on what people need. Uh, But I remember reading an article, it was in the Free Press, I believe, that some people that don't want to be saved, they don't want to be in housing, they prefer to stay in bus shacks or to be out in the open. And so how do you find a way of dealing with that? or, Or how can you still provide that help to those that perhaps may not want that help? Yeah, that's a really important part. I think the clarification I make is I don't think anyone doesn't want to be in housing. People don't want to be in shelters. And so I think that's oh, the, the yeah. differentiation. I think if we had enough available supportive housing that met folks' needs, we wouldn't mm-hmm. see as many encampments. And so shelters are, are one, they're an emergency response tool. They're not a, a permanent housing solution. And so there's often a lot of rules you need to meet to be in a shelter, right? A lot of mm-hmm. We run a low barrier shelter, so for us, you don't have to be sober to come in. You know, mm-hmm. to be in whatever state you are. So, but that's not the case for every shelter in our city. And so, there's some barriers. Also, a lot of shelters you tend to get separated. Uh, you know, between male identified or female identified folks, um, mm-hmm. separated. So you often can't stay with your partner. I know uh, a lot of folks who you know maybe they live together their whole life, and then all of a sudden they find themselves homeless. Maybe there's a fire or something that you know their house is gone and Mm-hmm. And they come into the shelter system and they get separated from their support system, their family, you know. So so there's a lot of challenges with emergency shelter operations in terms of why people choose not to, to go into shelters. And so mm-hmm. that's where the van outreach for folks who are in encampments or sleeping outside or, or choosing that as an option is super important to kind of be there to meet people. We know that if we're able to provide more uh, supportive housing options, we've had folks tell us, you know, an encampment would tell us, you know, if you could find a house for us, that we could all move into together, we would definitely, uh, you know, move out of this encampment and move into that house, but we don't have the housing supply available mm-hmm. for folks. So that's one of the things we're working on is how do we develop more 
housing supply and develop more supported housing so folks that can you know move into a house but also have supports connected to it so they can be supported to thrive in that environment and, and those connections. So a lot of the work we do is not only getting people housed, but also once we house people, we do spend a lot of time through our casework program going back and visiting them, make sure if they have food, make sure if they're having you know struggle, struggles meeting rent and things like that, mm-hmm. we provide the right supports in place. So it's not a simple process to find and house, connect people to housing, but it's also something that requires ongoing supports and, and continued effort. Mm-hmm. No, and, and thank you for clarifying that. You're right. It was the shelters that people didn't want to be a part of just because, again, for the, all the reasons that you just mentioned. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. I love that you provide such support because so many times, you know, people kind of fall through the cracks if they're provided or perhaps looking for assistance and it's not coming through on a regular basis. And so it's easy to go without. And I love that you look after people and make sure that they're connected and that no one falls through those cracks. Yeah, it's, it's super important. You know, a lot of the, the needs we fill are, are needs that are created by the system failure, the mm-hmm. health system, the mental health system, the addictions system, the, you know, the CFS system, you know, all these systems that governments operate that fail from time to time. And, you know, and then we kind of find that, you know, emergency shelters tend to be the the only stopgap for, you know, the last step before folks end up on the street. And so a lot of what we do is about trying to address system failures. And you feel very strongly no child should ever age out of care without into homelessness. No one should come out of incarceration into homelessness. No one should come out of these government systems and end up on the streets. And so that's a lot of the work we do is also about working to change systems and make them be more adaptive to people's needs. And we're kind of excited the province is undergoing a homelessness strategy right now to, for the first time ever, to develop a full homelessness strategy. You know, there's a lot of work happening in the addictions and mental health area. There's a new ministry created a couple of years ago that's really looking at focusing on how we better provide addictions and mental health uh, supports for people. and. I think that's one of the challenges. A lot of what uh, government creates has been um, systems that that silos people's needs. So mm-hmm. you may have uh, you may be in poverty, but you may have an addiction or a mental health issue, but you may also have you know housing crisis or you know any of these things. But when uh, you look at the supports out there that are available, they see you as as only one need, right? You're either mm-hmm. uh, someone with a mental health issue, or you're someone with a housing issue, or someone with an employment issue, but Actually, in all, you're all three. And then you may have to try to navigate through three different systems to get the supports you need. And so a lot of what we're working on with government to try to change is that uh, seeing people holistically and removing all those barriers to accessing services and systems. And so systems work better for people and see them as a whole person. And, And that's how we see people, right? That's why we do such a variety of services, not just emergency shelter, but we do the addictions and mental health supports and, and, you know, the withdrawal management services is really about seeing people as a whole and then working with them to address mm-hmm. their needs through that, that work. And so that's what we hope. We hope we can really help inform and advise and make that change in, in the broader system so that they better meet the needs of people so that we're not needed, right? Our goal is to work ourselves out of a, a job and 
we expanded shelter when we went to Mitchell Fabrics building, but the expansion wasn't really about creating more shelter space. It was about creating a better, more dignified space. Mm-hmm. The facility on Martha Street had you know, 75 mats on the floor. So expanding to 120 cots that are raised off the ground. And, and, you know, we had three washrooms in our old facility. You know, like I said before, we had 10 washrooms, seven showers. Like those are basic needs services. So mm-hmm. our expansion was really not about building more shelter space, making it more dignified and better meet the needs of people in our space. But recognizing our goal should never be to add more shelter beds or as a whole, we shouldn't be trying to build shelter. The only solution to homelessness is housing. And that's where we really want to focus our efforts as we move forward is creating more supportive, transitional and sustainable housing options for people. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I totally agree with you. And you're right. I mean, we all want to be treated with dignity. We all want to be treated like a human being. We're not just whatever people put labels on and labels can be very hurtful and they don't tell the story. You know, you're right. I mean, somebody may be needing services in different areas. And so instead of having them go to three different places, it's nice that they can be treated and with dignity and respect. They're seen as a whole, that whatever your needs are, we're here to help you. And and I love that you provide that whole service for everyone. It's, it's super important to me and, and to our team here and everyone that works here that that we're seeing people as who they are. And, and, you know, you often get stigmatized when you're suffering in poverty or homelessness as that issue that you may be challenged with at the time, you know, not having a job or not having an income. And, and, and we recognize that that's not who people are. And, and uh, it's really important that, you know, uh, the pandemic really showed us how many people were so close to being homeless, right? Like mm-hmm. one paycheck away, so many people live paycheck to paycheck or, or one housing crisis away, you know, a fire, a flood, uh, mm-hmm. you know, anything, you know, a, a change in management and apartment block can lead to people being homeless. And, and that's something that is is how precariously housed so many people are is a big part of our work to really figure out how to prevent people from ending up homeless and just how that doesn't define who you are as a person and you have so much more value to give. And, and we, I feel fortunate, you know, not everyone gets to see what we see every day in our programs, but we see the most resilient people, most creative people come through our doors. It may be at a blip in their life that they're at a certain point in their journey and, and we get to be a part of that. And, and we feel so fortunate for getting to do the work we get to do every day and, and seeing people and being a part of their journey to healing or care or whatever that is. And so our work isn't, isn't just about what we can provide for people. It's also about what we get to be a part of and, and being that change we want to see in our city. Mm-hmm. I love that. I was just thinking about that whole sense of inclusivity that you provide, the feeling of no judgment, that everyone everyone deserves to be helped. Everyone deserves to be looked after. Everyone deserves to have their basic needs met. And from hearing you describe everything that goes on with the Main Street Project, you provide that to everyone and, and more. Yeah, definitely. And and for us, we always, you know, we say we, we meet people wherever they're at. So um, recognizing not everyone's going to be in the same place or, or same point, but we'll meet, we'll meet folks wherever they're at, right? They can be you know, on, on a street corner in a park, wherever they are, and we'll we'll be there for them, or they can come walk through any of our doors and, and we'll be there for people. And that's really important to us is to just meet people where they're at. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I want to uh, touch uh, briefly on the whole idea of the coffee that you provide to your community members. And so do you provide that coffee service at all your locations? And you were talking about funding partners. Do you have partners or, or businesses that provide that coffee for you? 
Yeah, uh, coffee is a big part of what we do. Um, you know, I think, it, and you were kind of alluded to this in your intro, you know, that mm -hmm. you think about, you know, you wake up, you put a pot of coffee on and it's there and you have coffee throughout the day whenever you need it. And that's not the case for so many people. And then especially when the pandemic hit, uh, so many places closed, weren't accessible anymore. Coffee shops that maybe would have provided a free cup of coffee here and there for someone uh, in our community, they were just weren't open to folks, right? And so... Mm -hmm. We saw an extra demand. Not, there was already high demand for coffee, but an extra demand throughout the pandemic. And so we saw just our numbers of coffee, the amount of coffee we're serving going up and up every week, you know. And so it's super important. We serve it, you know, I, I think we serve, you know, probably 500 cups of coffee in, in shelter throughout a 24-hour period, if not more. Oh, wow. And then our van is out driving around with coffee, handing it out. Uh, in all of our programs, it's such a big part of what we do. There's just... Uh, Something, you know, you give a bottle of water and water is super important, but that in, our, in our climate and just having that hot cup of coffee, even in the summer, you know, if you're on the street or you're sleeping rough and you just get a hot cup of coffee, it's just something that can provide you warmth to your hands and to, and to your inside as you drink it, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So it just provides such a great essential kind of tool for folks to, you know, it's a, it's warmth. It's like, a, it's like a hug, right? Um, yeah, hug in a mug. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so we've had, we have some great partners. We've always had a really great relationship with Parlor Coffee on mm -hmm. Main Street there. They've, they've always done drives. They provided us coffee. They provide us with donations. They do donation drives for us. But when we put this call out more recently for coffee, we just saw, you know, flood. I can't even tell you we have a, a coffee room in our storage room downstairs below my office, and it's still so full. You can only walk in turn if you turn sideways because it's four <laughs> of coffee donations. Wow. And, and so I, I think I don't even have time to go through the list of every coffee shop that donated, but coffee shops showed up with 50-pound bags of coffee. and um, But then also, it, like, individuals just sent us, you know, they went on Amazon and ordered us a tin of coffee. We You know, the amount of tins of coffee we had ordered is unbelievable it's just yes we, we're super stocked up but that being said you know in a, in a month or two the, the supply will go down so we've also seen a lot of repeat people coming back and checking in if we need more coffee so it's been you know really great to see the response from Winnipeg is recognizing how important coffee is uh, for our service but also in in people's lives and just to have that constant of knowing you can get a cup of coffee at any of our locations and walk through any of our doors and be provided a cup of coffee is so important so that those donations have been so great. Oh, that's wonderful. You know what? And I'm not surprised that the coffee shops and the coffee community have responded the way they have because it's all about providing coffee. It's about providing that customer service. It's that care. It's the love that they put into the coffee. And again, I'm not surprised that they would respond and, and make sure that you have what you need for your community members. And you were talking about that, yes, it's it's a hot cup of coffee, it's something warm in your hands, warm in your sides, but it gives you that boost of energy, you know, and sometimes when you're, you know, you're on the streets or you're feeling rough or you've had a rough night and, you know, just having that sip of coffee, getting that caffeine that gives you that boost of energy, it it makes you come alive in a way. And, and so, you know, a lot of people, like for me, coffee's important, but if I needed it to make me feel even some semblance of being a human, then yes, coffee has definitely done its job. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, there's a really good report, maybe five or 10 years ago that came out called It Takes All Day to Be Poor. And they, they did a really good work of chronicling kind of like, if you're living in poverty, or if you're living homeless, 
kind of the lengths you have to go through to get all your three meals met. And, um, you know, you have to go to, you know, the, head down to Agape Kitchen for breakfast and then mm-hmm. go to this other location for lunch. Maybe you show up at our shelter for dinner um, or one of the other shel- you know, shelters. And so it's not a an easy thing. It's not like you're just sitting in one spot all day. You actually, you know, to get access to EIA or to go to your know, medical appointments mm-hmm. and all these things you have to do often without transportation aid or things like that that we take for granted so often. And so that report did a really good job of highlighting for just how challenging it is, where you can access washrooms, where you access showers, where you access meals at different times of day. You know, there's lots of great services, but it does it. It really takes all data to be poor. And mm-hmm. and and so that report really did a good job of highlighting just how hard it is to get your needs met when you're in a position where you're in a really tough point of your life. And so that's where a cup of coffee will help you get to that next place or next location or where you need to go to get get to a clothing bank or a, a place for your next meal. So that's it, it does provide that energy you need to get through a day. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I, I agree with you. And you were talking about how you you accept donations for food and clothing and now coffee. I've donated clothing uh, in the summer. I think there was a call put out on social media that you were needed clothes because the the shelves were pretty bare. And so I was able to drop off some things. And a friend of mine and, and her boyfriend, they were just doing their own backpacks of warm clothing and they were going around the city and dropping things off. And so I was amassing my own supply of like scarves and whatnot. And when I heard that you needed winter supplies, I, I was actually going to drop those off at Main Street Project. And so I'm going to do that along with some of my supplies of coffee that, you know, I'm happy to support the need that you have at the Main Street Project. That's so great. And yeah, I think it's it's always hard to quantify how much we need because we see last year we saw 3,500 people through our shelter in a year. So mm. those are unique individuals and, and a lot That's of crazy. multiple nights. But so when you think about that, we see on average 120 to 200 people a night in shelter throughout the day. Um, so if you think about if if each of those 120 people need a sweater or need pants or need that, you know, we're going through, you know, 100, 200 pieces of clothing a day. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's a quite it's quite hard to keep up with that stock, you know, things like yeah. jeans. But then also because we provide shower services, you know, we we go through lots of underwear and socks and all those things that you need, you know, to to be healthy and then you know socks especially we did we do a big sock drive every october called socktober mm-hmm. yes we, you know we we're fortunate we get so many socks that, that usually last us through most of the year and so we have lots of big storage bins in the basement with tons of socks in there but you know that stuff is you know it's, it's always so hard to quantify the need because people are like you know i dropped off a bag and and you know and that's great but we actually need lots of people to do that on a regular <laughs> basis to be able to maintain the clothing supply we need for people right and and, and mm-hmm. you know the folks that we see often will wear through clothes you know it's mm-hmm. great to see how a pair of jeans will last you know a month or so on somebody but by the time they come back in or, or come back to to access services they're just worn right through so they're not something that you can wash and then reuse and and so no it's a, it's a big challenge to meet the needs of folks we're fortunate winnipeggers are so generous there's also so many great organizations that do this work so lots of people collecting and getting clothes to people who need it the most is is key and and as i said earlier you know no one group can could solve this problem or meet the need that's out there so we need to work all together to to get it all to the people that need it the most 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're on the right track in terms of what you're doing and, and what you mentioned about the province really addressing the idea of housing. You know, maybe there is hope that there are other services and other ways of getting the clothing, getting the food, getting the needs that everyone has. Everybody has different needs. And so being able to bring more of the community together, more funding partners, more community groups, and even just individuals like myself and other people that I know that would want to provide that help and that assistance and provide maybe some volunteer hours to help you with what you need. And so there's that saying, um, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, in this case, I guess it takes a village to make sure that all children, doesn't matter what the age, because we're all children in a way, that we have what we need to keep us whole and keep us like whole body, soul, mind, everything that we all deserve. We all deserve to have those basic needs met and to be considered a human being and a whole person in the holistic way. Yeah. And I mean, I'm glad you said hope because that's the the key thing. And I, I don't think anyone should ever give up hope. I think sometimes it seems daunting. Sometimes you see homelessness, uh, you know, in, in ways that it, it hasn't shown up before in our city, you know, um, the way it, it does sometimes uh, in the pandemics kind of shown up in different ways. So made more visible than it has been in the past, but there's always hope and there's there's always hope for change. And it's, it's not that far away. I think, you know, we're on the right track and, and, you know, with the development of new housing and, you know, maybe providing a few more supportive housing options, getting a few of our, some derelict buildings that aren't occupied up and running for the community. And, you know, there's lots of hope for what we can do. And I think people in the community have a lot of hope. And yeah, as you said, you know, I think we should always judge a society and how we treat our most vulnerable. And I think we have a long ways to go before we get to a point where we can feel like we're doing our best we can in Winnipeg for our vulnerable population. But I know uh, we can get there and, and we can do that, as you said, as a community that comes together to do that. Yes, yes, you're right. So if my listeners and, or if anybody wants to help in terms of either providing a donation, uh, whether it's clothing, food, time, money, who do they reach out to? What can they do? Yeah, so it's uh, it's pretty easy. We try to make it as, as easy as possible. So if you go to our website, mainstreetproject.ca, uh, there'll be a pop-up right away that talks about donations, and it'll tell you how you can donate financially or how you can drop off donations, where to drop them off, the times are available, and then there's also uh, opportunities to volunteer. We're just kind of revamping our volunteer system because COVID kind of threw a big curveball into like how it operated. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're about to release kind of a bunch of new volunteer opportunities coming in the next couple of months that would be uh, more opportunities for folks to get involved. We kind of had to put a lot of things on hold through the pandemics, but uh, you also come down to our 661 Main Street location. That's our head office. And so you can always connect with folks here between nine and four o'clock if you have donations to drop off uh, financial donations. But if you have donations of goods, we do that at our 75 Martha location and there's set times uh, when we accept donations based on when we have volunteers available. So there's lots of opportunities to get involved and there's going to be a lot more coming in the near future. So um, if you just check out our website or our social media, you can find out all that information and we'll announce any new volunteer opportunities in the coming months in terms of what they look like and how to get involved. Okay, that's wonderful. And we'll make sure that we put your um, social media handles and your website in the show notes so that people who are listening to the episode can also know how to help out and and provide donations and to volunteer. So thank you for that. That's perfect. Thank you. Right. Well, thank you so much for being here, Jamil, and and sharing everything about the Main Street Project and all the wonderful work you do and 
we're all blessed. We're blessed that your organization exists and that you are providing the service for the community. So thank you. Thank you for having an interest and uh, hopefully folks listening uh, connect with us and uh, we can make a change in our city. Absolutely. Until next time, consider how you can make a difference in the community, whether it's donating clothing, food, coffee, maybe, you know, do a Marie Kondo and look at purging and bringing your items that you're not using to the Main Street Project and helping those that can really benefit from your generosity. Thanks so much for listening. If you like Coffee with Jenny B and want to know more, connect with Jenny on Instagram at Coffee with Jenny B. That's Jenny with a G. Until then, all you need is joy and more coffee. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.